Today on Wine Access Unfiltered. My dad definitely taught me how to be funny and he let me know that I can make people more comfortable with my dwarfism if I was able to make a joke very quickly. Believe it or not, and this sounds crazy even as I say it, but if I have a conversation with someone and I don't mention dwarfism at all, they just kind of have this look on their face like, does he know? (laughs) Is he aware? Like, yeah, yeah, I've been dealing with this for a while. Welcome, everyone, to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. I am Amanda McCross, and I am here once again with Vanessa Conlin. So excited to be here. Yes. <laughs> Basically, it's all all um, of our um, incentives are, are self-motivated. We just want to drink well and laugh. So that's how we roll. <laughs> yes. And today, the stars are truly aligning because we've got Brad Williams, someone that I am a genuine fan of, whose Netflix and Amazon specials that I watched on the regular uh, I've listened to him on a number of podcasts. I've never seen him live, but he is incredibly, incredibly funny. I think it'll be a really good conversation because he's actually not really a wine guy, but wants to get a little bit more into it. He describes himself as a whiskey lover. Well, I think there's going to be plenty to talk about. I mean, even if you like wine a little bit, we can usually, you know, tease out some good stuff. So 100 <laughs> um, percent. But he is someone that says that he prefers sparkling wine and champagne to pretty much anything else, which I think. You know, that's a good starting off point with anyone, right? So, oh my goodness, especially for the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> I think anyone somebody puts on their intake papers or their conversation, we like sparkling wine. We're like, great. Even if you just like it a little bit, we're going to have that because our selfish motivations are. You are going to be on our show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, needless to say, there's going to be some sparkling wine today. Um, I think we could have gone a couple different ways, especially since he says that he loves champagne. Like we could have gone with something a little bit more obscure and grower or we could have gone a little bit more mass produced. I feel like maybe we went somewhere in between. I agree. And I think this is this is a wine that um, I've actually never heard anyone say that they don't like. I never even really considered that until this moment. But yes, you're right. There, This is like a really widely loved wine. You're right. I think yeah. this is a wine that sommeliers, wine professionals, industry people, consumers, everybody can kind of get on board with. So, I mean, I'm excited to drink it. If he doesn't like it, we can just kick him right off the show. That's right. Yeah. We'll just shut this down and drink the bottle. <laughs> <laughs> just have a podcast, you and me. Um, and then also, you know, being a whiskey guy and a, and a bourbon guy, I thought it would be fitting to pick something that had the same oak treatment. So I kind of with- love this. Yeah, this was yeah. really brilliant on your part, um, the connection. So I'm excited Thanks. to see if it actually resonates with him. I, I hope it mm. will. I think it will. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, too. I wonder, you know, how strong those through lines are for a whiskey lover to see if there is taste preference that he loves in whiskey and to see if that follows through in the wine. Either way, I think this is a pretty solid wine and a classic, iconic Napa brand that we went with. Iconic is is the perfect word to describe it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is when people think of Napa Valley, there's a few wines that I always I say it's the one in five. So if you say that you're in the wine business and you say that you live in Napa Valley and you give someone the opportunity to tell you what your favorite wine is, there's a one in five chance that it's going to be this wine. That's absolutely true. I think we have a one in five chance of him liking this one as well. Either way, we've got great (laughs) stuff to drink as per usual. So without any further ado, I hope you are ready to drink and laugh and not do that at the same time. (laughs) Could get messy if so. (laughs) 
I will straight up tell you, I love comedy and I love to laugh. And I am someone who is kind of a messy laugher. So I fully ex- expect some champagne to be coming out of my nose. So if we have like an interruption, it's probably because my computer is fried due to the, the champagne the coming champagne out of incident. my nostrils. Yes. All right. Here we go. Let's drink. I am so excited. Well, I should say we are so excited to have Brad Williams with us today. Brad, you are our very first comedian, and I am real excited about it. I love it. Now, were you afraid to go with a full-sized comedian? So your first comedian is like half a comic. (laughs) So you're like, okay, let's not do a full-sized comedian. That could be dangerous. Let's do half a comedian and get Brad Williams, who is four foot four at full adult height. I think that was your logic. Yeah. We just wanted to like dip a toe into the pool first, yeah. I completely understand that. Brad, I will I will literally be your best audience member. I will laugh at everything you say. So thank you. Oh wonderful. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm happy to be here. Uh I'll, I'll be the first one to admit it. I'm I'm not a huge wine drinker, but I liken wine to uh fish and chips and that whenever I eat fish and chips, I go, Why don't I do that more often? <laughs> So it's like when I have wine, I go, why don't I drink wine more often? It's good. It's fun. I drink whiskey because I like to take two sips and then be hammered. <laughs> uh, so that's <laughs> that's that's pretty much how that works with me. So it's all about time efficiency in your case then? It's like, what's the biggest impact I can get in the shortest amount of time with your alcohol? Yes. Yes. I'm a very efficient drinker. Uh, my nickname for my friends is uh, Two Beer Brad. Uh, they call me that. You could kind of figure that out why. And uh, yes, so I can only imagine how much fun this podcast is going to be after a glass of red and a glass of champagne. Yes, both of which we have. And Let's find out. It's- <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You you kicked it off with uh, my first question, which was, uh, what's up with the fact that you don't drink and you're on a wine podcast? So since we've covered that, yeah. we'll move on to the wines that we are drinking today. Oh, no, I drink. <laughs> Let me be very clear. I drink. But the thing is, I don't drink a lot. And some people say, what, you don't like alcohol? And I go, no, I love alcohol. That's why I don't drink a lot, because (laughs) I want to make sure that I have a lovely, healthy relationship with alcohol and that I never have to leave it. So I drink at a very steady pace. My wife and I, during this quarantine, have started making cocktails, uh, weekly cocktails. Do We do a little cocktail thing. Uh, We had an El Salvador the other night, which is rum. Uh, Frangelico, uh, lime juice, and uh, the thing you put in Shirley Temple's. Grenadine? Um, Grenadine, yes. And it was a lovely cocktail. It felt like we were on the beach while we were in our backyard in Van Nuys, California. So that's how good it was. Uh, But I'm anxious to get into the wine and uh, yeah, let's see how this goes. What are we drinking? We are drinking two wines because that's how we roll. We're always double fisting here. Yeah. Um, We have the Bill Carr Salmon Rosé because I heard, though you are not a huge wine lover yet, you do love champagne. And there is like in your intake form, you listed champagne as your preference when it comes to wine. So what's up with that? Uh, Because I like to celebrate. Um, Right now, if you could see the... What is that? This is a cheap champagne, but I love it. Uh, I'm friends with a professional wrestler. His name is Chris Jericho, and he has his own line of champagne based on one of his wrestling catchphrases called a little bit of the bubbly. And uh, oh it's gr- it, it's great. It's delightful. And uh, if, if, if you want to get white girl wasted on a Tuesday, I highly recommend it. That's always my game. Uh, that looks amazing. I can't <laughs> wait to try it. <laughs> 
Um, yeah. <laughs> do you? Is that something you drink on the regular? Yeah, that, that that's a souvenir. But I do like to drink champagne for celebratory purposes. Um, I didn't think I really liked champagne. It gave me a really bad hangover, and not the kind of hangover I like. It's a weird hangover, um, and it's a weird kind of drunk. It's a more I'm floating kind of drunk. So I didn't think I liked champagne, and then my wife let me know that I just didn't like bad champagne. She introduced me to good champagne. Correct. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is delightful. So <laughs> now I get it. Yeah. Like, I don't want to throw any particular brands under the bus, but uh, it rhymes with Horbel. Yes. I would just mix that with cranberry juice and have the worst hangover ever. Uh, but now I've got some good champagnes and I'm a big fan. Well, welcome to the club because Vanessa and I are huge champagne lovers. I think once you cross that threshold of realizing that not all champagne is created equal mm-hmm. and you can actually have a delightful evening drinking champagne in which you do feel quite literally bubbly yeah. without having the hangover the following morning. Yeah. It's a pretty amazing feeling. And so we're drinking yes. what I think is sort of an iconic champagne in that it came to, at least for me, I came to know of it when I was in New York and I was a sommelier. And like all of a sudden this like Bill Carr Salmon Rosé was like all the rage. Like everyone had it on their buy the glass list. And soon it started replacing some of the other bigger household names. And I was like, well, what is this? And it was delicious. And it wasn't sweet. And it was high quality. And it's from a great estate in Champagne. Um, It's not inexpensive, but it's not like stupid expensive. And it's also something that you can find pretty regularly. And it's great quality. Yeah. No, I think you said it. I mean, it it sort of um, became the standard bearer and and sort of like the go-to for people if you ask them what their favorite champagne was. Um, But made not in small quantities, but like so consistent, you know, super um, just easy to go back to over and over and still be in love with it. Yeah. I think like of the house champagnes, if if we could be so bold to say, I think it's probably – one of the champagnes that sommeliers and wine professionals love the most because it is, it's is—it's got a drier style. It's super pale in color, really easy to drink, and consistent. Just really, really consistently delicious. And we affectionately call it the Billy. Ah, now how how do you pronounce it uh, officially, the champagne? <laughs> how do you so- want to pronounce it? <laughs> Billicard Simon. <laughs> Billicard Simon? I, I, I don't know. I just try to sneeze and get it right. Perfect. Billic- yeah. And then after that, just go, ha, ha, ha. Ha, ha, ha. All right. But, you got it. Yeah. Perfect. But you guys call it, but you guys call it the Billy? <laughs> yeah. I think like, Billy. yeah, we call it the Billy or, yeah. Okay. And Stupid wine geek. It's nice that it's called, uh, I'm going to be the idiot now because I'm going to say it's called salmon and it's a, and, and it's, it's the salmon and, and it's a lovely pink color. So that works. I'm going to take my first sip right now and enjoy. Mm. Please do. I'm going to take believe my you. seventh sip and continue. I was going to say, why have you been waiting? <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that. Isn't it? Wait, so you've never had this? No, I've never had this. This is good. I love it's that. very. It's very light. Mm-hmm. It's, like you said, it's not too dry. Yeah, it, it just kind of, the bubbles, it, it sounds cheesy talking about champagne, but sometimes bubbly can be too bubbly, and it's almost like, you hit uh, the level three on your soda stream machine and it like hurts you sometimes. <laughs> like this is not that. This is just, ooh, this is, this is delightful. It's actually not a weird thing to say at all. I mean, the, the quality of the bubbles is a huge part of champagne and why we love it so much. And I think... Ha! Good! I didn't sound dumb! <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, so I just like to drink things that I like. So I would take a sip of this and I... I like this. And uh, 
That is that is good. That is just good champagne. I like that you just downed that too. <laughs> that's what you do, right? <laughs> Down the hatch. That's that's my mother's I, approach to wine. I have a whole. <laughs> I, I have the rest of a bottle that I I can't like. It's champagne. I I don't know how to restore it and redo it. So it's you know like I got to drink this thing now. <laughs> that's the beauty of champagne. Once it's open, I mean you can like you can get a bouchon and cork it back up. But the reality is, it's always best on the first day and always best to consume in one sitting. Mm, well, uh, my wife, myself, and uh, my mother-in-law will have a delightful evening. You sure will. Well, there's two mm-hmm. wines. Yeah. In addition to the champagne, we knew that you loved whiskey and bourbon. So we went yes. with Silver Oak. Why did we go with Silver Oak, Vanessa? Because they use American oak. Really? Bingo. Oh, yeah. so it may have a little bit of a oak, like a barrel flavor, like to that. Yeah, well, a Maybe. lot of people use oak. There's Slovenian oak, there's Hungarian oak, there's American oak, there's French oak, and then you can okay. drill down within the forests of France, and they all will have sort of a different impact on the wine. Um, but silver oak is kind of distinctive in Napa because most producers out here use French oak, but they own their own cooperage uh, in Missouri and use American oak, which if you like, you know, whiskey, bourbon, and I know with the bourbon nuts and the uh, whiskey files out there, they'll they'll go nuts about the barrels. So the, the yeah, uh, so yeah. I'm excited. So you picked this because it's like a whiskey wine, but I won't think whiskey wine. I won't think whiskey. It's still a red wine, right? Yeah, no, it's still it's still definitely a red wine. But and there are like bourbon barrel aged wines out there. I have yet to discover one that is any good. Yeah. Um, I, I won't recommend that. But I do think like if you're looking for a through line between whiskey and wine, this is a nice one because I think a lot of the aromatic and some of the flavor profiles that you might enjoy from whiskey and bourbon are translated with it within this wine. So and I think that's a function of the barrel that they're using because they are, you know, mm. similar. I just took my yeah, um, I know that my uh, wife wants to get a special edition whiskey right now. She's really into scotch and whiskey. Mm-hmm. It's scotch, but it's uh, aged, in, or it's finished, I should say aged. It's it's finished in uh, rosé barrels. Oh. So uh, it's very rare, but it uh, gives a nice sort of uh, floral taste to the whiskey. Um, I just had this wine. It is good. This is <laughs> this. Because it's, call me a wimp or whatever, but I don't like alcohols that overwhelm you with the alcohol flavor. Mm-hmm. Like, it's potency. Like, I like light champagnes. I usually put a splash of water in my whiskeys to kind of open her up. And I don't like red wines that punch you in the face. This does not. This is, yeah, there, there's like, there's blackberry in there, I think. And I love blackberries. So that's nice. But yeah, this is good. I like it. Brad, I think you need to give your palate a little more credit than is due. You're like hitting the nail on the head with so many things you're saying with not wanting a wine to punch you in the face, not wanting to feel the alcohol before with the bubbles comment. I mean, when you think of a great wine, wine, the greatest wines are balanced. It doesn't really have anything to do with what they taste like. They're just balanced. The alcohol, it doesn't burn you. It's not really a perceivable factor in the wine. It's something that blends in nicely and it doesn't really stick out. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I think that means your palate is more evolved than you give it credit for. All right. I'm not just a mac and cheese and soda kind of guy. This That's is good. That's right. You're I'm, moving on up. <laughs> I'm classy as hell. Uh, no, the, the, and... You know, I like I always advise people when they ask me because uh, they they'll see my whiskey collection or they'll see what I like to drink and they'll go, oh, what's a really good whiskey? And I go, eh, 
it, it it's tough for me to tell you because I'm always a big fan of drink whatever you like. Just enjoy a bottle of wine that you enjoy. This alcohol is meant to be enjoyed. I think hundred percent. He's like speaking our language, Amanda, huh? Because I, I mean, that's something we talk about a lot is so much about like trusting your own palate and not being swayed just because someone else says it's good or it has a mm-hmm. huge score or the price tag is really high. So I love that. Yeah. Now, how did you guys get into wine? Well, the wine got into us first and then <laughs> good. And then, you know, things just transpired. No, uh, I I was living in New York. I was working as an actress and like so many of us had a side job and wanted to get into wine, had a great sommelier who I was working with get me into it. And I didn't know anything about wine. I didn't grow up with wine in my household. My parents, the, the best we had was like Center Home. Um, but you know, I was living in New York, so it's like, you know, epicenter of culture. So I wanted to get into it that way. And right. so I enrolled myself in classes and went through the whole, uh, coursework of American Sommelier Association and then became a sommelier at a restaurant. Wow. And then ran a wine program for a few years. Yeah. That's amazing. Now, the only thing I know about sommeliers is, uh, I found, uh, uh, cause I'm 36, but I watch, uh, 60 minutes. So I happen to be 74 years old. I didn't know if you know that. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I, I just look fantastic. Uh, you aged beautifully. Like a wine. And um, they had a special on there about the one of the oldest rivalries in all of quote unquote sport is the. I've seen this. It, 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 this is the Harvard Yale, I want to say, or maybe it's Yale Princeton. I, I, I apologize if you went to one of these schools and you're like, what? Princeton? No, it's Harvard Yale. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the sommeliers of Harvard and Yale, I believe. And uh, it's the big competition they have every year. And wow, like they go region, they go type of grape. Like, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but how good are you? Can you have a sip of something and go like Northern France and it's Northern France? Well, I will will tell you, we are sitting with a master of wine who could school me. She is truly a wine ninja. I can get there. I actually, we blind tasted on camera together and we both did really well. But yeah, I mean, part of our job, so to speak, or part of our training is is what you're explaining, which is called blind tasting. So you're given a set of glasses with different wines in them and you're expected to smell them and taste them and deduce based on what those aromatics and those flavors and the textures and the things that you're getting out of that glass, deduce where that wine is from, what grape it is, uh, what vintage it is. And then if you are part of the Master of Wine program, like Vanessa was, the quality of that wine, the potential price of that wine, uh, how that wine might be marketed. And so there's different coursework. So there's the Court of Masters and Leaves, and then there's uh, the Master of Wine program, which is what Vanessa went through. And so you have different types of blind tastings, but really it's meant to to te- to basically put into practice all of the theory that you're expected to know as a wine professional. So all the things that you learn pertaining to geography and, and different grapes and different regions and what to expect, um, you're expected to apply that by blind tasting. Amazing. Um, I'm yeah. truly impressed by that because... Uh, I'm impressed by anyone that does things that I can't do. And uh, that is, that's a lot of people. But uh, <laughs> that, that that is one thing where I'm really amazed by that, that, that you can have a sip and go like, oh yeah, this is definitely Napa. And I'm, I'm sure the Chris Pine movie gets brought up to you guys all the time, right? Bottle shot. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That one. Great movie, by the way. Um, it's a treasure. First of all, is that one part of that movie true where if, a, a wine can turn brown if it's quote unquote too good or too whatever. There, yes, there's a lot of the whole movie is all based on truths, just highly dramatized. Yes. Wow. 
Well, I love that movie, actually. I, I never get tired of it. Good. I love hearing that two people that are wine experts, uh, A, uh, as we already talked about, uh, said that drink whatever you like. Don't just drink the $300 bottle of wine because your uh, friend who gives you stock tips says that you should drink that. Uh, <laughs> no, drink drink whatever you enjoy. And then to have you say, like, yeah, I like the Hollywood version of, you know, of the wine industry. That that story, at least, almost attacks sort of the old philosophies, like the best wines had to come from France or the best wine had to come from this certain area. And uh, so that makes me really happy because you guys seem like fun people. And the stereotypes of a lot of sommeliers, <laughs> I, I think, is that pinky up in the air, high society, oh, you don't listen to Bach, you know, something like that. And uh, you ladies are not that. And I'm I, that makes me very excited. Well, thank you. I, I certainly appreciate that. I think when I was growing up, I had the same sort of idea as to what a sommelier was. And it was that. And mm-hmm. when I got to New York and realized that there were other people who didn't embody that stereotype, I was quick to embrace that as well. And I think I've always been, and I, Vanessa, I think you have too, you've always been someone that is wanting to break that sort of mold and <laughs> not live such a sure. such a rigid and and less than fun life. Absolutely. Now, as sommeliers, as sommeliers, is there a wine where if you go to a dinner party and someone says, all right, tonight we are all drinking a X bottle of wine where, where you just throw your handkerchief and your napkin down the floor and you say, <laughs> I said good day, sir. I will not drink that swill. Uh, Vanessa, do you have one? I can't think of a particular wine like that. I'd say, um, <laughs> I mean, maybe I would just ask for a cocktail instead <laughs> rather than, you know, throw a tantrum. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> seems seems more socially acceptable. But um, yes. I, that does make me think of, Amanda, has this ever happened to you, though, where someone um, like pours a bottle of wine and it's corked? Oh, and they don't yes. know. And then you're in that position of being like, do I tell them that it's corked or do I just drink it and like not disappoint them? Because they're enjoying it. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I'm always I always feel awkward in that situation as to what to do. I think yeah. that, I think when you're put in that situation, just knowing that, that you're always going to be on the spotlight in a dinner party with, when it comes to the wine, like I'm always very cognizant of like not wanting to intimidate or offend someone. So like mm-hmm. the second I'm in that situation, I try to be really, really polite and um I, I don't know but yeah i think the to your point the corked wine situation is a real one and that is always there's never a good yeah there's never a good situation when, when you get a corked wine and the the person who gave it to you does not know and truly loves the wine and thinks it's amazing you're like this is corked as shit right now <laughs> and that's what i was gonna say too is like why is it always a wine that that person happens to like love and is so proud of it's always. never just like oh i don't care i just whatever i picked this up at you know at the store on the and on a whim it's like i've been waiting to share this bottle so there's just oh it's always this like enhanced sort of um just anxiety yeah well that's why i need yeah. to brad well, need to drink some wine do you know what we're talking about when we say corked wine uh, is that just a wine where uh, they use the original cork to put it back on? Is that is, is that no. it? No, no, no. This is why I'm, this is why I'm asking because we we throw that word around so often. We're like, I don't know what that means. Oh, okay. Um, no, corked is like a. It's it's also known as TCA, and it's basically a. Yeah, well, Vanessa, you can probably quantify it a little bit better, but it's how it presents. Is it smells like grandma's basement or oh. like wet cardboard? And so the wine literally takes on this like really off-putting aromatics and it's something that you don't want in there sometimes it can be confused with it just being too old but a wine that's corked is literally like 
infected with TCA. And how does a wine become that? Through bad storage Mm -hmm. or... No. And that's the thing people often will think like, oh, this is the producer's fault. They did something wrong. But it it usually comes literally from the cork itself, which producers buy. Mm. Um, You know, sometimes it can be from the barrel, but it's not like something that the winery did. And it's not from storage. There are plenty of things that can go wrong with storage, but... That's not one of them. So, um, okay. But it's people have a varying level of tolerance. So, like, I don't know about you, Mina, but like, I can smell it like across the room. I'm like a TCA sniffing dog. <laughs> yeah. But for some people, it really doesn't bother them that much, you know, or it takes, it has to be like really corked, like for them to notice it. Um, but yeah, for me, I'm, I'm just, yeah, same, same, Amanda. Like, interesting. I'm super sensitive to it. Have you ever noticed people that are corked or like, have you gone to <laughs> out i mean my no this is a real thing like you so you it's not just corks that can be corks like tainted with tca it's like especially in california i found if you walk around santa lena right after a rainstorm you can smell it like there's um foliage and like uh like vegetation that can be corked and then if you've ever gotten like a carrot juice there's a lot of carrots that can be corked baby carrots yeah interesting huh um Baby, yeah, corked baby carrots. So if you ever smell like or taste like a carrot that just like a, has a weird funk to it, it's probably corked. But then in my parents' house right now, there is this one spot in the house, and I I have been trying to figure out what it is. But there is this little area that smells like it's corked, like it's grandma's basement. <laughs> I am super super sensitive to it. You know what? Uh, a lot of people that have a particular profession, so someone giving you a corked wine and then talking about it like it's their favorite wine I, I i think me as a comic uh what you described is my version of someone coming up to me after a show and being like oh my god you're gonna love this joke oh no and then they tell me <laughs> the, the longest joke that their dad told them when they were seven or they read from a dirty <laughs> magazine or a popsicle stick and it's just the worst joke ever and you have to smile and be like Haha, no that's great that's, that's great and <laughs> wait does that really happen Oh, my God. Uh, So there's a few jobs that have something in common. It's a comedian, doctor, accountant, lawyer, and stripper. Here is what these jobs have in common. Yes. Whenever you tell someone that you're either a comedian, an accountant, a doctor, a lawyer, or a stripper, they immediately want you to do your job for free. (laughs) I'm an accountant. Oh, you are? I've got this thing. I've got some questions. You're a comedian. Tell me a joke. You're a stripper. Show me your boobs. Uh, that's just kind of what <laughs> people kind of assu- they kind of go with. And uh, I, when people find out I'm a comic, they, they 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 will come up to me after a show and be like, "I've got a joke for you." Normally, I know the joke within the first sentence. They say the first sentence, and I go, "Oh yeah, I've heard this one." But I let them go. <laughs> I let them have their moment, and I'll fake laugh. I'm an actor, but in general, when someone tells you what their job is. One of the worst things to do is go, oh, you're a blankety blank. Let me tell you what I know about your job or let me tell you how to do your job. People don't like that. People don't like that. Yep. Oh, and I was going to say, I've definitely been guilty of that with doctors. Like I have a friend who's a doctor and I, I call her like once a week and I'm like, can you this over the phone? <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure. She's like me and WebMD. We can both do that for you. Don't don't do the WebMD. <laughs> don't do that. Oh, I have a fingernail that hurts. It's cancer. What? No, my fingernail hurts. How could that? It's cancer. I had something happen um, last week and I WebMD'd it and it said like, oh, your kidneys are no doubt 
failing right now. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> called up my friend who is a doctor and said, hey, WebMD just said I'm dying. And he's like, no, you're not dying. Go to sleep. And I did that and I was fine. So, yeah, you can definitely get the wrong diagnosis from uh I was going to say, what's that great kindergarten cop line with Arnold Schwarzenegger? He's like, it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not. A... <laughs> That's a no. It's a rosé. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. Yeah, you just, you just stumbled on one of the three impressions I can do. Congra- congratulations. <laughs> wow. Well done. I, you did it really well. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> I'm not a good impressionist, but every now and then there there there's one where I'm like, oh, hey, I can actually do that one. Rock on. <laughs> <laughs> when you guys go out as sommeliers, are you like if like if you're at a dinner party, will will you just order like uh, a vodka cranberry, or is everyone kind of looking at you, or do they go, hey, uh, Amanda will choose the wine, or like <laughs> do they do something like that? I really do my best to not go out to dinner parties. <laughs> not for that reason. <laughs> not for that reason. I just hate dinner parties. Um, no, I yeah, I think any t- I think it's it's not the same as being a, a stripper, lawyer, doctor, accountant, uh, comedian. Sure. But yes, most people, whenever you walk into a room and they find out they're in the wine, they're like, What's your favorite wine? Mm-hmm. Which is this wine okay? Should I be drinking this wine? And I think there is this sort of feeling that people get of of immediate intimidation. Or the opposite is like you're out to dinner, as you've just said, and <laughs> someone's like, here's the wine, let's have at it. And you're like, well, how much do you want to spend? I don't know, just something good that's n- no money. And you're like, all right, well, that makes my job pretty impossible. So something good. Thanks for setting me up for failure. Yeah, something something very tasty, no money. Like, all right, you got, you want you, you want to run across the street to the BevMo and grab a bottle of Yellowtail? <laughs> I'll do it. It's fine. Yeah, a classic. What do you do when you go out to dinner? Oh, I am a whiskey guy. I love it. And uh, my wife definitely taught me how to be a whiskey guy. I thought I was a beer guy. And then she introduced me to whiskeys and bourbons and scotches. And uh, wow, that, yeah, that changed my life. So now I'm the guy where uh, a friend of mine, I saw, he posted on his social media that he was mixing uh, Johnny Walker Blue with ginger ale. And I called him up and cursed him out. Because I'm like, that is, what is wrong with it's you? an expensive cocktail. That is, wow, that is a $150 glass that you just put ginger ale in. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? So, um, Okay. I'm going to say, though, we just said earlier on this podcast that people should drink what they like. Sure. Well, my thing is, I don't think he actually likes it. I think he drinks it the same way someone likes their cigar with a $100 bill. Not because it makes the, the smoke better, but because they could be a pretentious douchebag when they do That's it. That's true. That's why. And if you knew this particular comedian, you would know why he does that. And you'd be like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, sounds like he deserved to be cursed off. Yes. Now, if you actually like Johnny Walker Blue in ginger ale, I mean, I got objections to it, but okay, drink up. I mean, I, I hope you had a very rich grandmother somewhere. <laughs> you know, the, the same exists in the wine world. Mm-hmm. Sure. We have plenty of people that drink, uh, you know, Petrus and Coke, and like that's you know, it's a thing. Wow. They think that's a whole. That's a whole thing. It's a thing. Yeah. You think it's bad with blue? Try a try a ten thousand dollar bottle of wine and a splash of Coke. If you're drinking Coke and a ten thousand dollar bottle of wine together, I would say that's like putting a a funny bumper sticker on Rolls Royce, <laughs> where it's like my wife and I were on the highway yesterday and we saw a Porsche. 
with this huge aftermarket spoiler that they put on the Porsche. And we just kept looking at each other like, it's a Porsche. It's done. There, there's a bunch of German engineers that went to schools and made this car literally perfect. There's almost nothing you can do to it to improve it. And you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a big spoiler on it. And I think there's some people out there that whether it be putting a spoiler on a Porsche uh, or putting Coke in a $10,000 bottle of wine where I, I, I think that's their thing. Yes. I, I think they like saying to people, oh, no, this $10,000 bottle of wine, not good enough for me. Either not good enough or maybe they have extremely low self-esteem and they're like, I'm not good enough for it. I got to trash this thing up a bit, pour some Coke in it. <laughs> cool. Now we can party. I can't even begin to understand what would motivate someone to do that. But as a sommelier, I am really at the end of the day, a servant and a hospitality person. And so I just stand there and I do my job and I say, please enjoy. And I keep it moving. <laughs> yeah. I'm always fascinated with people that have careers and jobs that I, that I either A, have never thought thought about doing or B, I don't even know how. Like, when do you say to yourself, I would like to be a sommelier? And like, how do you go about that? Well, and I should say I am not a sommelier. So mm. I, I'm in the wine business, but I, uh, I've i been a uh, wine buyer more for, for retailers um, than for restaurants. So Amanda is the, is the sommelier on this. Okay, podcast. well, Vanessa, you yes. still have to you you still have to know your stuff. The term sommelier, which gets thrown around a little bit, kind of like the word chef or maybe comedian, um, <laughs> it yes. gets thrown thrown around a little bit. And the the word sommelier really was designed to denote the the steward in the restaurant that selected and brought you the wine. And so that word has sort of been expanded upon to include a lot of different things. And I think you know sommelier means a lot of different things to a lot of people, but specifically or more technically. Vanessa is not a sommelier. She is a wine professional and is a master of wine, which is a, an incredibly rigorous exam that she had to go through for a number of years that resulted in her being one of only 53 people, right? 53. In the United States. In the United States to have that de- designation. Wow. A master so, of it wine. It certainly does not make her less than <laughs> by any means. If anything, it makes her better than a master of wine i yes. do you have that on a plaque as people enter your house vanessa because that is it- they haven't mailed it to me yet from london i was supposed to pick it up at a ceremony in november but i have a feeling that that's not happening because of world events so yeah yes i will get a plaque eventually but i was hoping to actually get it handed to me in person which man oh well I don't want to call myself a comedian anymore. I, I, I want to call myself a master of jokes. That's great. <laughs> I think you can. Yes, I'm a master of jokes. I've been to, uh, I, I will. I will personally draw you a certificate. Um, Please do. I've got 17 years experience. I'm now a master of jokes. Well, speaking of which, um, you mentioned you're fascinated by people who have jobs that you couldn't do mm-hmm. or have no idea that how to get into yeah you have that job for me and me uh so how did you how did you become a comedian like when did you know that you were funny and how did you become a comedian uh i knew i was funny because my dad uh there's there's debate in the comedy community if you're born funny or if you can learn how how to be funny i'm kind of on the side of born funny but you can definitely learn tricks and you can and you can sharpen your skills uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm, I'm a comic, I'm a dwarf, I'm a little person, a person of short stature. My dad is not a little person. I know, it's crazy. We don't all come from the same tribe. 
so my dad, when I was growing up, knew that as I went to school, I would be made fun of a lot because kids are bullies and they're dicks. So they would tell jokes to me and they would make fun of me. So his philosophy was, well, I've got to get this kid ready for this. So I'm going to make fun of my son first. And he did. But he did it in a very supportive way. Like he would insult me and then say, okay, now hit me back with something. And so, like, I'd be four or five years old ma- making fun of his glasses, telling him he was bald and, st- and stuff like that. <laughs> but, like, he kind of taught me that. So by the time I got to school and, and a kid made fun of me, I had comebacks. I had comebacks written, memorized, practiced, <laughs> and I was just ripping these kids apart. My first day of kindergarten, uh, some little boy ran up to me and went, ha ha, you're little. And I went, ha ha, your mom doesn't live with your dad anymore. And, um, <laughs> and I grew up in, you know, in Orange County, California. So I had about a 75% chance of getting that one right. So, uh, <laughs> and I did. And, uh, so yeah, that, that's how I kind of got into it in terms of being funny is I, is my dad definitely taught me how to be funny. And he let me know that I can make people more comfortable with my dwarfism is if I was able to make a joke very quickly to make them realize that I'm okay with it. Because believe it or not, and this sounds crazy even as I say it, but if I have a conversation with someone and I don't mention dwarfism at all, they just kind of have this look on their face like, does he know? (laughs) Is he aware? Like, yeah, yeah, I've been dealing with this for a while. Uh, So, (laughs) yes, um, that's kind of how I got funny. How, how, How I became a comedian. Um, is a really great story. I was in the audience of a comedy show. I was 19 years old. It was Father's Day weekend, and uh, I was there with my dad, and this comedian is on stage, and not knowing I'm there, starts making jokes about dwarves, and they're really good. Half the audience is laughing. The audience that's sitting by me is like, no, not (laughs) laughing at that, because they can see me, and I'm laughing. They're hysterical. The comic on stage notices that only one there, there's only one laugh coming from the entire left side of the room. So he looks over the left side of the room and he goes, what? Is one of them here? And I just raised my creepy little hand in the air like, yes, what's up? And uh, the, the comedian proceeded to call me up on stage and wanted to talk to me. He started asking me questions. Um, I did not try to be funny. I answered the questions completely honestly. And that my answers got laughs. And when that happened, I was like, this is the greatest job in the world. I've got to do this. Um, I, I, I remember he asked me what I did for a living. And at the time, growing up in Orange County, uh, I, I worked at Disneyland. And I said, I work at Disneyland. And the audience kind of snickered. And then I turned to them and went, fuck you. I'm not one of the seven. <laughs> and then that happened. They laughed. And I was like, oh, wow, that felt good. So um, literally the next week, I started searching open mic nights all around Hollywood and started going to open mic nights, driving an hour and a half, two hours to go on stage for five minutes for no money. And you just do it and you just keep doing it. And one thing that I will tell people is whether it's being an expert of wine or being a comedian, um, when people say, how do you do something or how do you get good at something? The answer is you just start doing it. You like, if you want to be a sommelier, okay, just start drinking wine and start talking about it. Start studying it. Start making notes and start, you know, if you want to be a stand-up comic, start doing stand-up comedy. Go and find open mic nights. You probably can't do that right now. Thanks, COVID. But um, when when we can, do that. And 
you you just keep doing it until you put in those ten thousand hours. Thanks, Malcolm Gladwell, and uh, you uh, you become better at it. And then someone, hopefully one day, will write you a check for you to do that thing that you love. And uh, it seems like a very simplified way of looking at things, but I truly believe it. Especially now, we've got some crazy jobs in this world. Like there are people who get paid on Instagram that take pictures of food. That's a real thing. Yeah. Like that's what they do. They just, how do they do that? They started taking pictures of food and then they started talking about it. There's, it was said like the, the top paid YouTuber on the internet was like this two year old kid or three year old kid who reviews toys. He just opens up a toy and he says, ah, this is a great toy. He starts playing with the toy and then his parents give him a YouTube account, and now he's like the highest paid YouTuber on YouTube, which is insane. So, like, uh, th- you can have a job doing just about anything in this world. I mean, look at what you two have done. You've taken a love of wine and, and, and made it into a podcast. So now you get paid, and you your job is to do the thing that you love, which is drink wine, enjoy it, talk about it. And uh, now you've created something to where you can get people you want to talk to to come talk to you and it's your job (laughs) (laughs) that is the beauty of wine and i think that's what kind of got me part of what got me into it was i saw wine as as a backdoor you know as a way to get into things that i wouldn't have normally been able to to get into so a way to see the world a way to talk to people and i think wine is one of those things that most people don't know how they don't know where the access point lies um, when they see that access point, you know, they, they immediately latch onto it and their fears and, and all the stigma around a wound wine and it completely drops. I mean, they are then immediately themselves. And especially what I've noticed in the restaurant when people come to Napa Valley, they're guards down. Yeah. You know, you talked to them about wine and, and all of a sudden it's like they're no longer Derek Jeter. They're just this guy in the restaurant who wants to talk about wine with you. And that's what's really cool about you it. You said Derek Jeter very quickly. I think there's a story there. <laughs> uh, well, Derek, <laughs> Derek Jeter used to come into the restaurant quite a bit. He actually, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, probably. He held his uh, rehearsal dinner there. Oh, no kidding. So um, I also have a Derek Jeter story. You also have a Derek Jeter story? Yes. Oh. I do. I do. He is a big lover of wine and visits Napa Valley or did. Yeah, he hasn't been back in a while. Yeah, I used to do sales and marketing for a winery here and he and his then fiance, um, supermodel fiance, uh, wanted to come visit us. So I hosted them for um, a private tour and tasting. And it was really funny because this winery that I worked, we're not open, actually open to the public technically, you know, so eh, shortstop for the Yankees. You're open. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, oh, definitely. Definitely open. But what was funny was um, like, there was really not that much going on in the cellar in terms of what the, the, you know, the wine uh, team needed to do, but every single person showed up that day and was like busying <laughs> themselves in the cellar, just like trying to get a look at her. So, I mean, he's no slouch, but I think it was really hard. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Oh, I'm, I'm counting the bottles for the third time today. Like, yeah, that's what they, <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's what they were doing that day. Totally. Yeah. That was the level of work that was being done in the winery that day. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad that those are both of your interactions with Derek Jeter in a completely professional manner. Yes, me too. Because <laughs> I was about to make the joke and then I didn't where I'm like, did you get a gift basket? But I, I'm like, no, that'd be inappropriate <laughs> to ask them. So I'm, I'm glad that they're very professional. Uh, but no, you talk about how 
everyone showed up uh, because Derek was there. Um, I was at the Miami Improv one time, and I have about 15 minutes left of my set. I, I normally do about an hour on stage. And uh, I get a note from the manager of the club. This is while the show is going on. I just like, well, I got a note, so I got to read it. So <laughs> I, because sometimes the note can say something like, hey, our credit card machine is down. You need to go longer because we haven't processed the checks or something like that. So mm. that's what I'm thinking in my head. I open the note and the note says, Seinfeld here wants to go on. What the hell? So I'm like, all right. <laughs> and I had, I had about 15 minutes left. So I go, all right, I'll cut about 12 and a half minutes off of that. And I did like one or two more jokes, got a nice little laugh at the end and said, okay, ladies and gentlemen, um, there's no other way to say this. Please welcome the stage, Jerry Seinfeld. Holy shit. And I said that not knowing if someone was playing a prank on me or just being a, you know, just like <laughs> passing me a note. So I'm like, Seinfeld better walk on this fucking <laughs> stage. And sure enough, he walked out. Wow. He did uh, He did about 20 minutes because he was in the area and he just wanted to go talk about some things. Did his time. And my show, to, go, to bring it back to the Derek Jeter story, my show that particular night was not sold out. By the time Seinfeld was off stage, it was packed. Oh God, I bet. <laughs> I don't know how. I like the staff from all the other surrounding restaurants or whatever just started flooding in. But yeah, it was packed by the end of that. I've seen that happen at the store. We, whenever I go down to L.A., my first stop is always uh, a series of restaurants. And then I finished the night up at the comedy store. And I've seen that happen a number of times there. Good. Yeah, I love the comedy store. I love that. That's your go to. It's funny because some people say like, oh, I'm coming to L.A. What should I do or what? How do I see a celebrity? I go, you want, I go, there's two ways to see a celebrity. One, hang out by either the American Airlines or United Airlines baggage plane <laughs> at LAX. You'll see one. Uh, or B, go to the comedy store. Because if yeah. you go to the comedy store, you'll see the best damn lineup of comics, especially if you can go on a Tuesday night, because on Tuesday night, we're all home. We're all in town. We're not, yep. we're, we're not touring on the weekends. Go on a Tuesday night, you'll see four comics in a row that by themselves can sell out theaters or possibly stadiums. You'll just see them casually. And every now and then, you'll get that note. I've gotten that note at the comedy store. You know, like, hey, uh, there was one time I brought up Chris Rock. That was. I was just going to say, that's who came in when I was watching. I forget who was on, but it was like Chris Rock came in. Yeah. So great. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just amazing. So, so I would highly recommend, once it opens back up, going to the comedy store if ever you're out in Los Angeles. Now, you said there's a couple... You said there's a couple of restaurants that you go to. I'm here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me one or two? Yeah. So usually I start, I head over to the West Side to like Santa Monica, Venice, and we'll do like Jelena, Justa, and then um, Felix, which I was just talking about recently. Uh, so those are okay. both on, those are all on App Kitty. And then um, there's also uh, uh, John and Vinny's. Also, I think. Classy. Yeah, like West Hollywood. And then. I cannot remember the name. I will find it for you. But there is a late night. I think it's actually 24 hours. And they do uh, Galbi Gin. So it's uh, it's Korean. It's like super spicy, big Galbi Gin pot. Um, but the move for I try to go at as many restaurants as possible. So I would always go down like a Tuesday, Wednesday, which are my days off in the restaurant. I'd hop on a jet suite flight from Concord, California, fly down to Burbank, mm. 
Second day I got off the plane, go to John and Vinny's, check into where I was staying. Then I go to the West Side to like to Abikini, eat there, go to the comedy store and then finish up the night at this uh, at this Korean spot uh, and have Gabby Jim. And th- wow, you've had more Hollywood nights <laughs> than I have. That is making a good use of your time. The thing about Amanda, <laughs> name any city and this is what happens. Like any city that has punk come up this podcast, she has this like. She knows where to go. She knows the restaurants like and they're always like the insiders place too. honestly. I don't know. Like I'm a girl who likes to eat how you do anything else, like anything else done in your life, because obviously you you like spend all this time like finding the best restaurants everywhere you go. But how? But yeah, well, but, thank, I have a boyfriend who's really good at, at helping me. But yes, I, I do a lot of Netflixing. Yeah. And, Instagram but that but that's so great and, and it's so good that you're not just going to whatever and having the same meal that you've had a 10,000 times it's just living life I don't think there's too many people where on their deathbeds they'll be saying to themselves man I went to too many restaurants <laughs> I should have just I should have just stayed local gone to my same spaghetti and meatball place every night that's that's what I should have done no you want to go out there you want to try things you want to experience things you want to do things yeah yeah. That's such a cool skill that you have and that you're able to uh, say all these restaurants from different cities. As a touring comic, I, I love that because you name the city, I'll tell you two or three things to do and I'll tell you two or three stereotypes about the city or things that I've found about the city because you listen to that Johnny Cash song, I've Been Everywhere, I have. It's a lot. I could check off a lot of those cities and it's just because the na- the nature of my business And I don't want to just like one of the things while and I am touring while this uh, COVID is happening, um, but I am going places. But Mm -hmm. when I go there, I go to the hotel, I go to the show, I go back. I and it's bummed me out because I can't go visit all the places I want to go to. Can't go to all the restaurants, but I've got I've got to stay safe. I got a seven month old at home. So uh, I got to, you know, I can't be out there going to all my favorite spots. And even if they're open, I can't I can't really do that. So but I do still like to experience life and do like to do things that are fun and do things. I want to have a lot of stories and I would encourage people, whether it be wine or restaurants or whatever, have a passion, go for it and experience different things. Try to try to try new things. You'll never know. You'll never know what you like until until you try it. Um, like I said, you won't look back on your life when you're living on your deathbed. Like, oh, I'm so glad I did nothing. No, you, you, the only regrets people have is I wish I did more. I, I wish I ate more. I wish I drank more. I wish I, uh, traveled more. I wish I spent more time with my kids. So those, those are the regrets that people have. So while you're here, make sure that you don't have those regrets. Yeah. Oh, I should mention, I have, um, Google maps for pretty much every city that I can share with anyone who needs them. And I have yeah. a number of times. Here are your restaurants. Go. Well, they're great. So that like, I don't like to arrive to a city with a plan because no plans ever really go through as, we, as we've learned with COVID. But um, sure. But they're great because especially in New York City or LA, like when you find yourself in a particular area, you can just look at the map and be like, oh, I'm near these three restaurants. This is where I want to go to. Um, well, please send me the one for LA because I definitely want to try some stuff. I will. Um as far as experiences, tell me what is an experience that has surprised you? With uh, stand up or just just overall? like in general? I mean, you love experiences. What's been you've been all over the country, all over the world. What's something that you never thought would would you'd enjoy or that surprised you? I never thought that when I did shows in Alaska, 
and someone came up to me and said, uh, I run a dog sledding thing. Do you want to go dog sledding? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, let's do that. And I did. And I, I didn't think I'd like it. I didn't, I, I thought like, oh, you're cold. You sit in a, you sit in a sled. I just want to have something warm on and, and I'm a big dog guy, so I'm like, ah, the dogs don't like it. It hurts them, whatever. But I decided, okay, I'll do it. And it was the most amazing thing to be in Alaska, dog sledding, seeing the terrain going through. And in, in terms of the dogs not liking it, no, nothing could be further from the truth. When the guy came out to see his dogs, they started jumping and getting excited. Like, they were like, oh, are we going? Are we going? And then he put harnesses on them, and then as <laughs> they were barking and yapping, and then he gave one one yell, and then they were silent because they were focused. They're just like, we're running. We're doing this. It's fun. So, uh, yeah, I would say that uh, dog sledding in Alaska was a something that I never thought I would like, never thought I would enjoy, um, but I did it, and I'm so glad I did it, and it's one of those things that, never people talk about experiences at a party like i throw out that one and everyone's like what dogs let okay you're you've got the floor let you win yeah let's hear let's hear about that you know you win so <laughs> yeah i'd say that you know say say yes to if everyone ever comes up to you and says we're here in minnesota or we're here in some snowy area and we're going dog sledding go it's amazing i never would have considered going dog sledding but now it's on my google maps yeah I have a question about performing and I've often wondered this when I've when I've watched comedians is like, have you ever had a moment where you literally can't remember what you're going to say next? Like how how memorized is your set? And have you ever had a moment where you just completely forgot what you were going to say next? When I was filming my first uh, special fun size, there was a moment where I I just watched that where I stopped on stage and was like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I don't know what comes after this. <laughs> and this is a set that I had ran um, uh, hundreds of times to get ready for that set. And uh, I just blanked. And I knew my mom was in the front row and I knew she would be more uncomfortable than I was. Cause I've been in that situation where I've forgotten what I'm going to say on stage. I'm okay with it. Sometimes there was an acting coach who told me something sometime that has, has, has really stuck with me where he goes, desperate people get super creative super fast. And it's very true, whether it be when you're on stage or when you're in a survival mode, is you go into survival mode. And, and some of my best jokes I've written because I didn't know what I was going to say. And then I just said, well, I have to make this funny. Let's figure something out. Let, let's start talking. But when that happened, when I was filming my special... I stopped and I couldn't remember and and I was pausing. I was like, what what came next? What came next? And then I went, oh, my mom's probably going to freak out. Mom, stop. It's okay. I'm good. Like, I'm fine. This And I, I like gave my mom a pep talk. It didn't make the special, but it got big laughs in the room. And it was one of those moments that kind of really made that a unique experience for me. Like talking my mom through it and being like, I'm okay. Because she gets nervous uh, on behalf of me. Sure. Mm -hmm. So I knew she'd be scared, but I wanted to let her know that I was okay. And then as I was talking to her, the joke popped back in my head. I went, oh, yeah, that's what I was supposed to say. And then right back into it. Um, to answer the second part of that question is how, how memorized is my set? Um, I have an outline 
I have an outline of what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to do part A, part B, part C, part D. What happens in the middle of those and in, and in transitions, I never know. And I always want to leave the door open for if something happens. Because if there's a fight on the left side of the room, I don't just want to say, and another deal with hairline. <laughs> no, I have to stop and address that thing that just happened over there or someone yells something out or something if something happens in the room and those are really memorable amazing moments that make shows stand out is when something happens in the room i'll give you a prime example and this will sort of tie it all together and i i was in houston texas and i look over and i see another dwarf in the audience and he's laughing. I go, that's awesome. You're laughing. And I start and I start joking around with him. Turns out he's got a tall wife. I've got a tall wife. So we make some jokes about that. Yeah, that's right. Got a tall wife. I've done very well for myself. <laughs> uh, so I, I start talking and, and he's zipping comebacks at me. And I go, hey, man, what do you do for a living? And he goes, I'm a stand-up comedian. And so I'm like, oh, well, do you want to do some time? I, now I'm interested in what, in what this guy has to say. So... I called the guy up on stage, much like what happened to me, and just gave him the microphone and said, here, do five, seven minutes. He goes on stage, kills, gets a standing ovation, and the club, he, he, he had only performed at the Houston Improv one time before that. The club came up to him afterward, started talking to him, and he started getting booked on more shows because of that. Because he, the club saw him in that time. And I want to give that guy a shout out. He's a great comic. His name, and I know he's a dwarf comic, so you think I'm joking with the name. This is his real legal name. He showed me his license. His name is Clinton Shorter. Oh, man. <laughs> his name is Shorter. That's crazy. I don't know how that happens. Um, but yeah. You can never forget it, though. I can never forget it. And it's those moments that make shows very special. Now, if I had just been that guy that was up on stage going, I'm just going to do my jokes, they're my jokes. If I was just doing that, then we wouldn't have had that crazy moment. I wouldn't have had that story. And Clinton wouldn't be doing more sets around the Houston area. So I love that all those things happen because I was open, open to new experiences and not just going down the path that I thought that I was going to go on. Well, I think that is just an amazing way to to bring it all full circle, to pay it back or pay it forward and... Um, I mean, kudos to you for for doing that. I, I think, man, you changed that guy's life. And not that he wouldn't have been successful on his own, but like just an amazing and amazing opportunity that you provided. So um, super cool. Thank you for bringing it all full circle for us. Of course. Uh, I'm a professional broadcaster. Uh, I, <laughs> I, things I do. Uh, no, but um, this has been an absolute ton of fun. If you guys ever want to have me back, and have me drink more wine, you just say the word. I'm there. I'm Yes. Because uh, I'm digging this, and when you suggest wines, they're actually really <laughs> freaking good. I, I liked both of those wines, so I'm, 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 I, I'm happy it went well. I'm happy you guys are happy, and um, if people want to see more of me, uh, just go to uh, bradwilliamscomedy.com. All my tour dates are there. But keep updating it because it changes weekly with all the COVID stuff. So um, uh, go to bradwinscomic.com. I'm also on Instagram at bradwinscomic. I'm on Twitter at funnybrad. And yeah, uh, watch. I, I have two specials. And you've got some Netflix specials. Yes, I have 
a Netflix special called The The Degenerates, where I used much more filthy language than I did on this podcast. And uh, Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, I think that is a compliment. And then I have two other specials called Fun Size and Daddy Issues. They are available on Amazon Prime. You can watch them on Amazon Prime or stream them on YouTube. I think someone put them up. I didn't, but that's okay. I don't care. Watch them. Enjoy Good. them. Good. No, I, I love want. that. And I've, I've watched all of your specials. I've listened to you on, on many a podcast. I actually just listened to the one uh, you're on Theo Vaughn's podcast the other day and uh, laugh my ass yeah, off. Yeah, talking uh, about me, Jeff Dye, and Theo Vaughn talking about being the first comics uh, to go back out. We, I've been doing shows, live shows since uh, May in front of audiences. Now, I go out and um, I, I don't go every week. I go and, like I said, I go, I do the show, I don't do a meet and greet afterward, uh, and then I just go back to the hotel. So I really don't see that many people, um, if any, uh, when I'm doing these shows. But, uh, yeah, I do a little two- to three-week run. I get tested. So far, it's always been negative. So um, I want to continue that. And uh, But, yes, I will keep doing live shows, and I hope to see some of your listeners in the audience come and tell me that you heard me on the Wine Podcast. Yeah. And I would love for people to tweet me and say, heard you on the Wine Podcast. How drunk were you? I'll say <laughs> very. Um then we did our job. I, I think you are a perfect first comedian. I hope you're not our last. Um, and I hope this is not the last time that we speak. But I really appreciate you taking the time and drinking with us today. No problem. I will drink with you anytime. Uh, well, I laughed. I don't know if I laughed more than I thought I was going to or, or as much. But I definitely laughed a lot. And I am really excited that we finally had a comedian on the podcast because... It was just such a breath of fresh air, and he was everything I hoped he'd be. I agree. I laughed a lot, but also he had some sort of inspiring stories as well about, you know, giving other people a chance at success and, um, you know, how he was kind of encouraged by his family to overcome difficulties. So I laughed. I cried. We drank wine. I'm so glad that you said you cried because I got a little welled up when he told that story, too. (laughs) Yes. I was like, I don't know if it's the wine or like if I'm in the moment, but like this is a very touching story that I was so happy that he shared. Same. And I think you and I have talked before about something that inspires both of us about the wine business is that people really do encourage each other and share information and give each other chances to succeed. Uh, and so it was it was great to hear that that's true of of the comedy business as well. Yeah, I thought it was great. And I love the world of comedy, even just as an outsider. And I mean, obviously, I'm not an insider, but I love I love comedy. I love consuming all different types of uh, comedy content. So it was really refreshing to your point to hear some of the insider stories and to hear his journey and as to how he got into it. We definitely drank some great wine today, and I was pumped that he had never had the Billy Rosé. <laughs> Me too. Just when you think that everyone has enjoyed that wine, here we go. We found someone that we could share it with. So that yeah, was some fun. I agree. Yeah. How delicious. Um, and then Silver Oak, I, th- I thought that was a perfect tie-in for his whiskey love. That was a great selection on your part, Amanda, just to, to tie in the American oak. And I think that um, I think he really enjoyed it. And it's such an icon. Yeah. And I, I love introducing people to brands that are just so familiar to us and we love so much and getting to retell some of those stories and why we love them. <laughs> Man, I I think I'm going to have the best night ever with all this champagne and silver, silver oak and reminiscing about all the funny stuff that he said throughout it. So 
with that in mind, if somebody does want to listen to this and have the same amount of laughs and drinks that we had, where can they find some of these delicious, delicious wines? You can find them on wineaccess.com. We have a wonderful selection online. You can also sign up for our daily offers if you'd like to receive offers by email. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram at at wineaccess or on Facebook at the Wine Access Experience. Uh, For those who didn't catch it, we had the Bilcar Simon Rosé today. So that's the non-vintage because there are a few different Bilcar every now and then in the store and offered on Wine Access. Um, And then we had the Silver Oak Napa Valley. So there are two Silver Oaks. There is the Alexander Valley and the Napa Valley made the Napa Valley today. So if you like what you heard today, give us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It means a lot. I'm going to go watch his specials again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, what a great way to to wrap up. And uh, thanks for drinking the last drops with me. And until next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.